Madrid, in the CSIC in Madrid. And I'm going to explain in a few slides what it is we are concerned about and what we are trying to do. So first of all, I hope I don't have to convince you that innovation is very important for a country. It helps sustain growth and it helps uh, ensure employment. So there is no doubt that it's good when firms innovate. The problem of innovation is that in many instances it is, it is a, a long process. So you have examples of an idea in someone's mind that became a product you know, very soon after, but in most cases, I have taken this example from um, a company that uh, specializes in medicine. You have several stages that are going along with the R&D. And uh, so here you see they have the basic science, so you can think of it as in a lab, and then they have the preclinical, and then phase one, phase two, three, which usually involves some uh, testing of the medicine before you can market it and get your authorization. And these different stages, they usually require different skills. So the people who might be very good at basic science might not be very interested when it comes to the clinical tests and everything. And that can be a problem. So who are the actors when we talk about R&D? Well, both the private sector and the public sector usually work together to um, develop new pro products. The universities, the advantages that they present is that usually they are an adequate environment for research. You have the freedom of mind, you can work on anything that you would like, there's no barriers, and that is very good for innovation. Also, there is a reward for publication and theoretical advances, meaning that if you don't come up with a, a product straight away, it doesn't matter, you have other sources of gratification for your work. And the private sector sometimes is better to uh, evaluate the value of the advances, and by value I mean the commercial value. So it is often the case that scientists are not very interested in the commercial value of what they are creating, whereas a company might be, because they know the potential, they know how the demand for this product. And also, they may have more ability to get funds for the research that the university might have more difficulty getting. So you see that the two of them are, are good to work together. However, sometimes the communication between one sector and the other sector doesn't flow very well. And uh, my co-author being in Spain and having a lot of uh, data on Spain, uh, looked at the number of patents that was gathered by Spanish companies, and she said that compared to other European countries, the number of patents is very low. However, if you look at the number of publications for scientific areas, it, uh, Spain ranks very high. So you have a situation where you have good publication coming out, good scientists, and yet not a lot of patents coming out of this. So there must be something that doesn't work very well to communicate the uh, research from one to the other. Now, one possible reason that was uh, given to us by one person who has done a lot of research into this R&D is that she believes that there's a lack of highly educated staff in the private sector. And therefore, when the researcher come up with some new ideas, the people in the private sector don't have the skills to understand what this is about or can't use it. And therefore, there's a break between the two words, and that might explain why there are very few 
uh, patterns coming out to Spain. Now, one solution, of course, when this happens, is to ask the firm to hire educated staff to follow up academic research or do research themselves. And this is happening in the US and it is happening in Canada that they have observed that manufacturing in the US and in Canada is changing. So if you see this article from a Canadian newspaper, they say while the return of manufacturing to the US is welcome news for American workers, the factory floor is taking on an entirely new look. A lot of manufacturing jobs require a, at minimum a two-year tech degree. The need for a four-year degree is not out of the question. Education and skills training is widely considered the key element to addressing the worker shortage. So basically, it's very frequent now. There was an article in Time magazine where they were showing a big factory and you have the floor plan that was completely empty of people. Basically, you have these big machines and you have four people that are working there only and most of them are engineers. So they have high qualifications. So this is one solution, of course, to have the firms hiring highly qualified people. Sometimes it is not easy. So Ines Macho, the one who did the study, told me that it's very difficult sometimes for the firms to get the funding to, to pay these people. The other, uh, the other uh, possibility, of course, is uh, to give the university scientists the incentive to collaborate with the firms, so to, to have the people willing to continue their project. And this is sometimes not always easy because, in fact, as I said before, the type of skills that are required when you have done the basic research to continue on are not exactly the same. And if you don't get a reward for it, scientists might not be um, really interested. So uh, I, I have a little video that it's on the, uh, what was done in the US. They have created knowledge transfer office that are not known as KTOs. They were previously known as technology transfer office. And uh, basically what they do here is that they explain what their role is in the university. I don't know if, it's, if it doesn't work, it's not essential for what I am doing. Nope, yes, it works. I hope it works, but again, if it doesn't, yeah. They were Their job is 
study fundamental questions to bring new knowledge to the world. Our job is to turn that knowledge into real products that affect real people on an everyday day basis. Since OTT started, more than 2,300 invention disclosures have come through the office, resulting in more than 30 major products. None are bigger than FTC and 3TC. These are HIV medications that help prevent or delay HIV sales from replication. More than 90% of Americans on life-saving antiviral medication for HIV take these drugs developed at Emory by Raymond Shinazi and Dennis Toyota. When FTC was monetized in 2005, it brought in $540 million, which at the time was the largest university monetization. So it's critical. So basically, you get the you get the idea. Uh, what happens is that those offices provide the staff who have the knowledge to bring the theoretical advances to the firms. And there's been a lot of studies of these OTTs, and some of them are not very uh, good in the sense that there's this nice article by Jensen Thursby and Thursby, where they looked, uh, you know, who gets involved with this OTT, which kind of researcher disclosed their innovations to the OTTs, and the title of the, the paper is The Best We Can Do With The We Get To Work With. And what they say is that, in fact, unfortunately, uh, scientists that have a very big name that don't need these OTTs don't disclose their information to the OTT. So you get a selection bias among the scientists that do disclose their information to the OTTs. It's not always the best. But yet, my point being that there's different skills required to go from the basic innovation to the final product. And sometimes it's good to have some agencies that deal only with that, that middle thing that needs to be done. Okay, so what do we do in this paper? We consider that an invention to go, a, a new product goes from an invention to something new. It requires basic and development research efforts. So in other words, it requires different sort of efforts along the way. And we are going to consider that the, the university researcher values the publication of public research in addition to financial re rewards. 
And the type of question that we want to address, both theoretically and empirically, is uh, what outcome arise from business cooperation with academic researchers, consulting or contract research, compared with doing research in-house, hiring researchers, in terms of the success of the development and the race. So basically, the question we address is what's the best way to do R&D? Is it for firms to contract someone in the universities or hire someone themselves? That's it. And I'm going to explain now the difference between consulting and contract research. So, strictly speaking, it's just a timing definition. Uh, we say that we have a consulting contract when the scientist works in a university and is offered a contract after she's made a breakthrough. So, for example, Kevin has a publication, someone in the private sector spots this publication and says, we're very interested in what you're doing, and they offer you a consulting contract where you're going to develop a product based on your research with them. Contract research is the university approaches the scientist before she's made a breakthrough. So, someone heard of Orla, she's not published anything, but they say, we know you are <laughs> <laughs> in a specific area, and then they say, why don't we work together from now on, and you are going to publish, but as well help us develop new products. And hiring, we are going also to consider that you may hire someone who has already been in academia or before they uh, are, before they, when they start their job, so before they have a break. Okay, so the model is, uh, uh, we made the model the simplest possible because it gets a bit hectic. But uh, basically, there are three players, a researcher, a university's KTO. So we, we consider that the university might have a say if it gets a private revenue as to how much goes to the scientist himself and how much it keeps, okay? And the firm. And it's a two-period innovation model. The first period, the scientist is starting a new project and he's investing some effort in the new project. And with this effort, he can have a publication with probability easier. So I make a discovery, something new, but it's all theoretical for now. If the scientist makes a discovery, a second period starts where the scientist has the choice. He can continue working on the first innovation and publish something like a prototype, which requires effort easy for development, but he can say, well, this is really interesting. I could publish another paper in this line of research and produce effort EB and, and go for more publication. So with probability EB, he gets another publication, and with probability EG, he helps develop a prototype. Of course, if he failed in the first period, he can't use this to develop anything because there was no breakthrough in the first period. The researcher cares about publication, which gives him some intrinsic value, pleasure, and he cares about, she cares about money. She's risk adverse, and the value of income X is U of X, which is increasing and compounding. The university pays a wage to the researcher, W, and if they get a, a licensing revenue, they can keep a, a portion of this licensing revenue for the university. And finally, the firm decides to contract the researcher so they can do, uh, issue the contract to the university, which could be consulting or contract research, and in this case, the way it is done is that you will pay some royalties when you have the prototype that comes out. Okay, that's usually the way they do it uh, in, in most countries, that you are entitled to some royalties. 
And of course, if you hire the scientist, then you have complete flexibility over the wage that you can pay him because now he works for you, she works for you, so you can decide uh, how she will allocate her time and you can also decide on the wage that you will pay the scientist. Okay, so uh, we're gonna analyze first consulting and contract research where the, the scientist stays in the university and uh, the difference between the, the two again is the timing, okay? So consulting, you wait until he has produced, she has produced something, and contract research, you just approach the person before. So in period one, what happens is that the scientist has invested COV0 and can be successful or fail. If it is successful, it gets the reward for publication plus the wage, but if it fails, it only gets its wage. And of course, the university pays the wage each time. In the second period, then four possible outcomes arise. The, the scientist could be both successful at publishing yet another paper, paper or developing a prototype, in which case he gets another time the reward from publication, plus the wage, plus a bit of the royalty that it gets from producing the prototype. In this case, the university gets the rest of the royalty revenue minus the wage that it has to pay the scientist. And the rest of the table is similar except that here the scientist only has a new publication that fails to produce the prototype. So there's no royalty coming in. And in this case, for example, he fails both the publication and the prototype. So there's nothing coming out in the second period. But you still have a wage. Thankfully, we are still paid even if we get the rejection. Okay? Otherwise, we would be poor. Uh, so, consulting. If you are familiar with game theory, you know that timing is everything with game theory. And when someone does something before or after, it changes completely the game, okay? Because it gives advantages to whoever plays before. So it's very important to specify the stages in order to solve. So the timing of consulting is, uh, is the following. The university decides on the share of the royalty that will be given to the scientists in the event that they get some royalty revenue. The researcher starts working on the project. With some probability, he fails, and that's it. So he continues in the second period. He tries again to publish, like what we do every day. We try and he keeps trying. In this case, he cannot develop the prototype because he failed in the first stage. If he succeeded in the first st stage, then the university comes in and say, I would like to give you some royalty payment if you work with me. And uh, the firm offers the contract. And by the contract, I mean it offers a royalty rate. So it goes to the scientist and it says, if we're successful, you will get 30% of the royalty revenue, of the revenue. So the, the researcher invests in both more publication and more development. Notice that he could choose EB equals zero or ED equals zero. He could dedicate himself to one or the other, okay? These are endogenous variables, so they could be equal to zero. With probability EB gets a publication, there's a prototype developed with probability ED. But he could refuse the contract and say, no thank you, I will just continue doing my publication and this is what I will get in the second stage. Why do we need this? Because we need what is called the reservation profit. In other words, the firm cannot offer whatever wage she wants. She has to make sure that the scientist is not better off turning away the firm and doing his own, her own publication. Why does the university get to decide on these things? 
because most of the time it is like this. It's the, the TTOs who decide. So the university set a contract with the researcher and they decide, okay, if you succeed, and in Spain, most of the university uh, give 30% of the royalty revenue to the scientists and keep 70% for themselves. But it could be negotiated as a bargaining. I mean, if you're a big shot scientist and you know you're on your really good idea, you tell me the rest of the Exactly. You know? Yeah, you could have a bargaining power. So Cathy has data and she said the uh, beta varies from 27 to 35%. But it's not, uh, it's not more than 50%. You know, so they, they seem not to be able to say that. Maybe they leave the university. Yeah, and yes, well. exactly, and, uh, and be hired. Uh, we solve for the game backwards. So what that means is that starting from, that's the way you solve game theory, okay? So you move this way. So for any contract that has been issued, you look at the optimal effort level, and then you move back. So don't, don't pay attention too much to the equation. Just trust, trust me. The researcher maximizes expected profit. That gives you the equation that determines for each royalty rate the effort level that he will exert. So you see that in particular, if R was zero, if you tell the scientist you get nothing, if you succeed, then the optimal ED will be zero. Okay, so it will not work, okay, when you solve for this. And once you have the optimal EB and ED, what you get is that you uh, you solve back for the optimal royalty rate. So the firm, when it offers the, the contract, perfectly anticipates the, the effort that the scientist will exert. So it takes EGR as a function of R. It knows how hard it will work. And that will give you the optimal royalty rate. And finally, given the optimal licensing payment, uh, the, the researcher, the first stage, decides how much he wants to put into this project and maximizes with respect to E0 for his future pro uh, profits. And uh, well, finally, the university perfectly anticipates everything and maximizes the expected revenue subject to beta. It chooses the share that it wants to keep. Of course, the university knows that the larger beta, the smaller the effort of the scientist in the project. As I said, the data show that in many instances, beta is close to 30%. Now what we have done, what I will show you today, is that we calculate the solution here and we calibrate the result so that beta, the optimal beta is between 20% and 40% to have something that matches the data and to have a comparison. What happens when you have contract research is a very similar game, except that now, instead of coming after the breakthrough, the firm goes to someone before the breakthrough is done. So I have heard what Orla works on, I'm interested. She has no paper that is directly linked to what I do as research, but I know that she may be able to provide something good. So I go to her and I say, okay, would you work for, for us? And I offer my contract initially. So we will consider different games here. That was just to remove some question. It doesn't change anything. So what it changes from a game theory point of view is that when Orla is gonna decide of her first level of effort, the initial effort, she has already been offered the contract. For her, it doesn't change it that much, but from the firm's point of view, it changes something essential. 
Now, by changing the royalty rate, the firm will perfectly anticipate the impact that it has on the initial effort as well as the subsequent effort. So now, the firm has more ways to, to affect the scientist's decision. I will choose a royalty rate that induces a higher initial effort and maybe a higher effort afterwards. So we solve again, and again, as I said, uh, trust me for, for the solution, we solve backwards, and what we get uh, is the, the main difference from before is that now, when the firm decides on the level of royalty, it, before it maximized this because you come after the breakthrough has been done. Now you come before, so you maximize with respect to the probability that a first breakthrough will, will be done. And so you have an additional term here. And then the university, of course, chooses beta, taking everything into account. And what we find is that, in fact, uh, consulting is not as good as contract research. So basically, when we move for any given beta, if you fix the beta, when you shift from consulting to contract research, you have a Pareto improvement. And the reason is that the firm is obviously better off. Why? Because now, be before the firm was, this was what I was maximizing. Now I have the E0 in front. But I could be the firm and not change my contract, which would mean that I get the same thing under both types, okay? If I change, it means that I have a, a better alternative. So the firm being given a first mover's advantage is gonna be in a better place, for sure. But what we notice is that the firm will increase the amount of royalty that it pays the university. Therefore, because it gives a greater licensing revenue to the university, the, the amount of money for a given beta goes up. So everybody is better off. <coughs> so then, for a given beta, both the researcher and the university are better off. You could say, yes, but the scientist is gonna work harder, so he's gonna spend more time. Yes, but the effort level are chosen optimally, so he will he will choose the effort, the, this, this will cancel out because he maximizes his profit function with respect to the effort level. So the marginal impact will be zero because you choose the best effort level for you, okay? So this is a good news and what, what does it let, uh, let us say? Well, that the TTOs can be very important. That wh what is the difference between the two contracts? One contract is that I wait until the scientist has a breakthrough, and in the other one I preempt that, I go to the scientist before. We say that the contract where you go to the scientist before is better. And of course what people told us, yes, but sometimes I don't know who is good at what. And the reason they are waiting is because the publication is a proof that you can do this, okay? What is the role of the TTO? The role of the TTO is to gather this information. So the TTO is there to say, well, this is Darren, this is what she does, and this is what she's good at, and send this to the firm. So before you even produce anything, they know your profile, and they may contract you before you have the breakthrough. So this highlights the very important role that the TTOs can have, that they can give information to the firms and identify the good researchers before they have to publish something. Now, as I said, the result that I showed you before is for any given beta. 
Of course, it could be that the firm says, I am going to give you more licensing revenue, and the university says, ha, so now I decrease the share that I give to the scientist, and I give him much less. So we have done simulation, and this is what we find. Forget the sequential and simultaneous. This is just for the game theoric uh, geek like me. Uh, it, as I said, doesn't make much difference. It's just a small detail. What I want you to look at is the, the, dif the main difference between the two. What you see is that what actually happens is that when we move from consulting to contract research, not only does the royalty rate shoot up to induce greater, e well, it's not that significant here, but it's, it's a, a much greater ED, in fact, that the firm is looking for. And what you have is that the beta increases a lot as well. Remember, we have calibrated the model so that these ones fall between 20 and 40%, okay? We just needed some, uh, if you want, a, a, a first model, and then from then we, we evaluate all the others. So you see that here, beta actually increases. So everyone is better off. You have a Pareto improvement here, and you can see it. The profits, this is the profit of the firm, the profit, sorry, the profit of the university, profit of the firm, and profit of the researchers. Everything goes up when we move from consulting to contract research. Okay, so that's, uh, yes. How should we think of these EDs? I first thought of them sort of a percentage of effort, but if that's the case, then, you know, your ED plus ED is still only about 0.3. So yeah, no, in fact, the investment is C of E. So how much you invest is not given by E. It's not the effort that they are putting in. It's they invest C or E, and E is the probability of success. So that's a probability of success. So in fact, to, yeah, okay. Exactly. So with probability 14%, you have a publication. With probability 15%, you have a second publication, and you develop the prototype with probability 14%. But your investment is C or B. Yeah, yeah I should have specific. You don't have a fixed amount of effort. No, no I, we consider that where EV plus ED or E0 was bounded by 24 hours or yeah. something like this. Yes, yeah, we, we wanted to see how, how it would change to put a new boundary with the effort. If we hit the boundary, what will happen? Yeah, we thought about that. It's a good question. Well, presumably, your teaching will be put more effort into research. Yes. Yes. We thought about that. We said, you know, everyone has only so much to put in their research. And then Cathy started to say, yes, but then when we're going to look at the data, I, I need some information about the researcher that I might not have, like, are they married or, you know, that, that's, do they have kids? Things that might be complicated then to, to estimate after. What we notice is that the scientist uses the effort uh, in, in a strategic way. So in fact, we, we have not made any assumption on, we looked at literature on this. And do you think that doing more basic research makes you better at developing a product or not as good? And it can go both ways. So there, there are some papers who show that for certain types of innovation, the more theory you do, the less good you will be at developing the prototype. Another paper that showed that the more theory you come out with, the better you would be at doing the prototype. So for the purpose of the paper, we have considered both. We say that the effort level in the second stage can be complements or substitutes. So I have, the, you know, 
I have, now I have something that I know could work. I can spend a lot of time in the lab during the you know, tests and everything, which means I have less time to, to write a paper. So this would be a case where they are substitutes. I decide to spend more time on the lab, I cannot write my paper as fast. But you could say, yes, but when I spend time of the lab, I realize a lot of things that will help me to actually make a better paper because I learn things when I see the effects of what I have created. So that's why we consider the two. And what we notice is that when we move from consulting to contract research, what happens is the following. If the, so the, I don't know if you can see very well, but this is the consulting one. So when they are complements, we know that uh, ED, we know that when we move from consulting to contract research, ED goes up. The, the scientists spend more, more time developing the prototype. He will also do more basic research when the two are complements, and he will do less basic research when they are substitutes, which is what we expected. Uh, so what we, the, the main conclusion is that with the simulations, when we move from contract research to, uh, from consulting to contract research, everyone could be better off, okay? Can we get a general theoretical conclusion as to whether beta will increase or decrease? No, because it depends on the sign of this, which is not obvious. It is not always positive or always negative. So this is a bit of a problem. Now, the alternative, of course, to having someone in the university working for you is to hire the scientist. And now he comes to the firm and he's completed his uh, assignment with the university. He works for you. So the firm can decide to hire the researcher. And again, I can wait until this person has published in the university and contact them and say, come and work for us. Or I can do it before he's published in the Now what we consider in this thing is that when the firm approaches, uh, so I approach Orla and I say, would you come and work for me? She will say yes or no, and we have considered the lowest reservation value. What we, and the, I would, the reason we have done that is that we then can say that anything better would need a higher wage. So basically, when I, if I am the firm and I approach Orla, I say, I would like you to come and work for me. The alternative and what will make you say yes or no is if I don't accept that, I can al always do publication in the university. But of course, an alternative could be that she, you tell me no and you do some consulting or you do some contract research. For the moment, all we consider is that when I offer you this, your alternative is, no thank you, I'm not interested, I want to, con I want to continue publishing. I don't want to develop prototypes, okay? So uh, that is what I say here, okay? We consider that a researcher's outside option is to work in the university where all you do is basic research, publication, and you get your wage double. Now the big thing, is that when, if you work for me, then now I can say, very good Orla, you work for me. So now I will decide how much time you spend on your research and how much time I want you to spend in the lab because I'm paying you, okay? So I will decide. Suppose I hire Orla after she has made a break breakthrough. What is a contract? Well, technically I have to specify everything could be different. I have plenty of flexibility. So. The contract would say, well, I want you to spend so many hours in the lab, and you maybe can do some basic research, and this is your wage schedule. So, a priori, 
I could base my wage on whether she has a publication and whether she produces a prototype. So WSS, success, success, is the wage that I will pay her if she has a publication and develops the prototype. WSF is the wage that I pay her if she only has a publication. FS, I, it's uh, the wage I pay her if she only develops the prototype. And fail, fail is the wage I will pay her if she fails to have a publication and fails to have a prototype. Now, the timing of this game, Orla invests in basic research, C of E0, with probability E0, she's successful, and I offer her the contract. She can accept, which means that she moves to the firm, Finnish University, or she can reject and stay in the university and continue her basic research. And of course, with probability 1 minus E0, she doesn't have a success in the first period and she just stays in the university. Now, the complicated, it looks complicated. This is the expected profit of uh, the scientist. And uh, all you need to know is that, in fact, due to risk aversion, the optimal wage is the same. So I have to pay her the same, no matter whether she's successful in publishing or uh, producing the prototype. That's due to the risk aversion. I don't want to introduce some risk there because she doesn't like this. This gives me the optimal wage, which will now depend on the effort level. And what we find is that it is in the interest of the company to allow the scientists to continue basic research. So in other words, when IBM has people publishing in RAND or whatever, it is in the interest of IBM to let their people do basic research. Even though you could think that the basic research has no reward, it's n for the firm it has no value. I mean, you could have a reputation value. But the only effective reward in our paper is the reward that the scientist gets from the publication. For the firm, it is not creating any commercial value. However, we see that when EV is positive, it allows the firm to pay a slightly lower wage to the scientist. Therefore, it will want the scientist to continue basic research. We solve for the optimal effort level. We find that for the basic research, there is no distortion. It's the same as before, uh, but there is now the value that can be generated by the prototype will influence, of course, how much effort you want the scientist to put into developing the prototype. Now, we compare this with hiring before a breakthrough. So now I don't know, there's no breakthrough, and I hire the scientist before there was any breakthrough. In this case, the contract is very complicated because there is a first period where the scientist is working on theory. Then I can pay him whether success or fail. And then there's the second period that looks exactly like the one before. So uh, there's just the salary of the first period that I have to specify. You have this ugly expression, okay? But again, what we find here, sorry, what we find here again is that you, when the scientist is successful, you want him to continue basic research. And we, want, we find even something else. Suppose that Orla works for me, okay? And first stage, I say, do your theory thing and hopefully something will come out. Suppose she comes to me and she says, didn't work, I, I couldn't find anything there. What should I do? So we consider that the firm could say, well, sorry, you're fired. 
or you, you couldn't get because I know you're not going to develop anything in the second period because you failed in the first period. So for me, for the firm, there's no commercial value coming out of this. So we said, should the firm fire her or let her continue her research? And we find we should let you continue your research. Because, again, it decreases the wage that you can pay. So you keep the scientist, you pay in a positive wage, and you let the scientist continue his research. And we compare the two. So this is the contract research that we had before, you know, when the person stays in the university. And what we find is that the best of words is this one, where the scientist is hired after there is a breakthrough. Okay, so if you look at the effort exerted and the probability that innovation happens, this is where you have the highest possibility. So what, what we show is that it is in the interest of the firm to hire the researcher after she makes a bre breakthrough, but not before. And one reason is that it's very expensive to get someone. Now, the, here, you see that when I hire the scientist before, the university doesn't pay any wage anymore, but now the firm is fully responsible for paying the, the wage, so it's very expensive. It's less expensive to get someone uh, after the breakthrough. It is not in the, now, the, as I said before, it is not in the interest of the, uh, the researcher to work for the firm. So what we find is that conserving or contract research are creating outside options that make it a hiring expensive. And that might explain what is happening in Spain. They have very good people there that work in the university, which is a secure job, etc. Then these people can be offered contracts. When the firm goes there, they know that if they want to get them in-house, it's going to cost them a lot of money. If the financing is difficult to get, it might explain the reason why they're not hiring enough people. It's too expensive to hire them. From a total surplus perspective, the best word is the one where the researcher is hired after she achieves a breakthrough. And the probability of getting a patent is higher when the scientist is hired. Is higher when the scientist is hired. So here we show that Ines Macho might have a point when she said that to get patents, it might be important that the private sector hires scientists. Uh, why is this word the best, where he's hired? Because leaving the, uni leaving the researcher in the university, you are facing a moral hazard problem, that the scientist is fully in control of his time and may not be doing what the firm would like him to do. Okay, so data. So that Cathy has started to put together some data so that we are going to test everything we found there, hopefully. But I had her on the phone this morning and uh, it came to the point where I had a headache. So I'm going to go to the point where I had a headache and then, okay. So she has a unique da database that she has developed with uh, her husband actually, where they have mixed two things. First of all, they have, uh, from 2003 to 2008, scientific publication in Scopus. I checked, and this is a database, and you can enter things, you know, it's open to all. You don't even need, at least for me, it worked in my office yesterday. It's a bit like Econlit, you know, the, if you use Econlit. It looks very similar to Econlit, but it's more scientific, and medicine, and all this. So they have, they looked at all the publications with authors affiliated to a Spanish institution. And then they looked at the patent application to the EPO, the European Patent Office, that were filled in 
they have this, let's, let's put it this way, they have this. Of course they are not, we are not going to have, you know, we are going to take a time where both overlap, okay? But they put the two together, and what they have is uh, 4,194 author inventors. What are author inventors? These are people who have, have obtained patents and also publishing journals that are rated in Scopus, okay? So these people have both publication and application to patents. So they, they are the type of people we're interested in. Okay, the focus, uh, we so are... Yes, but when you look at the patent application, you have to list, and that's what she has. She has the names of the people who have worked on the project, and she's taken the one where at least one invest investor was located in Spain. And every patent application must put in who is behind it, So, which is very good, in fact. Thankfully, it is not only the, the name of the firm, because otherwise you would be stuck. You don't know who is doing what. No, no, patent applications, are actually very detailed uh, databases. Now, of these, uh, we are going to look at uh, patents which are patent applications, sorry, not necessarily patents, okay, because we only, we, we both. When you apply and when you are successful is two things. Uh, which are business owned or co-owned. By co-owned we mean, or she also has patents where there are two owners, the firm and the university, okay. And among them, we identify those having a scientific author uh, among their inventors. So we want people who also publish that to be among the inventors. One question we want to address, and this is where my headache started, is does the value of the patent differ depending on whether the investors have publishing activity, its timing, and the affiliation in those publications, academic or business? So basically, she was thinking of something like this, value of a patent. So you might ask, what is the value of a patent? Well, she said to me, there are different things that you can use. The number one that is used in most paper is the number of citations. That's another thing that you can know for every patent. So if you have a patent, and I'm working on a project that is very similar to you, and I'm afraid that I might be infringing your innovation, I have to cite you, just like you cite other authors when you write a paper that have similar work. And for every patent, you have the number of citations that they have. So the more citations, the more applicability of your patent, and therefore we can argue the greater the value of the patent. She also has within the database something that reflects the, how, um, how the patent was used. Was it only used in Spain? Was it used in different countries? Which could reflect the, com the commercial value of the patent. So there are different measures there. Then she said, we, we, of course we want to put uh, firm-specific variables, you know what they work on, etc. Uh, the, the area of the invention, of course, and then the inventor, some uh, information about the inventor. And then we would like to try and look at the optimal timing strategy. So whether the, the value of a patent uh, depends on whether the author, uh, yeah, when did she publish? Did, did she publish, does the value of the patent change when you have hired someone who has already published a lot or who is publishing a lot after you have the patent? Meaning that would give us the idea of it's better to hire someone from the start or after he's established a name. 
Now, after we had this discussion, we, I was one hour and a half on the phone with her this morning. Then she said, but I'm afraid of endogeneity problem and something, something, reverse causalities. And this I said, okay, I don't understand what you're talking about. So uh, she's working on this. That, <laughs> that is what, so what I need to do now is to talk to uh, Kevin or Orla or Chris to explain me what is an endogeneity problem and what is a reverse causality. But she said to me, uh, we may have a problem with the time frame that we have where everything overlap is very short. And that's a problem with publications because as we all know, it can take a few years before you get a publication. But the other thing that she's worried about is something that has to do between the value of the patent and some elements of the invention. That you know, the better the inventor, the higher the value the more likely the patent is likely to be of high value. And she said that could be an endogeneity problem, she said. But the, she then went on to explain to me that you can control for certain things and that maybe we can get something out of it. So I'm sorry that for the empirical park I am not very good at explaining, but this is where we are and this is what we are doing. 